The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I got nothing to clever to say. It's just January 2nd now. What the hell fun is that? We're in the new year. Yep. That's it. In fact, there's really, it's kind of a down day by all accounts. Wednesday was jam-packed, New Year's Day. I say Wednesday, but that's the that was the interesting one. Wednesday, New Year's Day was jammed with kind of sad news out of the NBA. Sad and bad. Thank you for this rhyming segment to open up Fantasy NBA Today. Welcome, everybody. We will, for the first time in a long while, not bury the lead on today's show. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Baspers. Thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get into anything else at all, we do want to take a moment at the beginning of the show to think of David Stern, who passed away on Wednesday. One of the most influential people in the history of the NBA. Three decade of commissionership turned the NBA from, at the time, a league that was struggling into this global juggernaut that finally this year is like, oh, our TV ratings are down a tiny bit. Yeah, well, you know, TV is down a tiny bit. It is a global sport that is crushing it. Strictly on the rise, mastery of social media, all of the things that a, a franchise, a, a sports organization, a, a a monster that it is, is heavily because of David Stern. My memories, and obviously I haven't had any real run-ins with with the former commish. My college roommates and I, this is uh, 2001-2005 range was my, my undergrad years. We, we never could get enough of the fact that at the end of every All-Star game, He'd present that all-star MVP trophy with the note, Today you truly were the star of stars. That, for some reason, always stuck with us. We'd laugh and we'd say it to one another in passing. He changed the way the draft was done, inflicting harm upon himself, and he was also known among circles as one of the most terrifying human beings on Earth. Just an absolute genius who could tear you apart with three words. And he passed on Wednesday, so rest in peace, David Stern. I think we all sort of knew this was coming. Certainly those of us who have doctors in the household that saw the reports coming out about the 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 large hemorrhage and that he was hospitalized in, in I think it was in critical condition right out of the shoot. And I mean that that is sort of the likely conclusion. I have to admit I sort of forgot about it. Because it was a couple of weeks, and so much happens in a couple of weeks nowadays that you just you kind of file other news reports into the back of your mind. But then, obviously, came back very quickly here on New Year's Day. I'm de- I'm guessing it was not that quick for his family that it was probably a, a relatively steady decline. Guessing more news will sort of trickle out in terms of what you know the final days were like and stuff like that. And the Twitterverse, the NBA verse, has just been a Massive outpouring of amazing stories about the former commish and just kind of that mixture of the way that he he carried such unbelievable power 
to go along with that genius mind, that marketing brain that completely changed the NBA. Uh, Adam Silver, big shoes to fill. I think he's done a really nice job so far, but it's uh, that's a big act to follow. And again, rest in peace to the great David Stern. The less sad but slightly bad news that came out of Wednesday is that two minutes into the first game of the narrow four-game Wednesday night, and we'll go over those in a minute, Jonathan Isaac went down very awkwardly. The replays were ugly. His legs kind of got tangled up with Bradley Beal on a Euro step, and his knee flexed in a little bit of like a sideways wrong direction. It was, and this is sort of that weird moment where you're like, thank goodness it was a contact injury, but uh, yeah, it was sort of like a weird tweak. He was uh, ruled out with what they called a hyperextension, and then after the ball game, apparently he was talking to reporters and was kind of enthusiastic, saying that he was able to bend his knee and flex, and that, yeah, it's definitely going to swell up. It's definitely going to tighten once they stop working on it for a few hours, and I think they have a uh, flight home, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they were in D.C., and then he's expected to get an MRI today on Thursday. But I guess when this is all said and done, what we can say is initially it was a horrifying moment for those of us who have a bunch of Jonathan Isaacs. Lord knows I do. Lucked into him in a few spots because he he fell to a spot I didn't expect it. He was not really on my target list because I thought he'd be coming off the board before my turns most of the time. But then he just, he fell farther than expected. He was one of those buzzy names that ended up having a little bit of that post-hype hit this year. And he's carrying my blocks wherever I have him. I just was like, all right, well, I've got Jonathan Isaac, so I don't need to worry about the rest of these dudes. That, by the way, is a bad strategy. Probably a lesson for another podcast, but maybe we'll throw it into this one. Don't ever position yourself this early in the season where your entire season hinges on one guy. Like, if I lose Jonathan Isaac for a really long time, and we might get bad news later today, so hopefully that doesn't happen. But if I lose Jonathan Isaac for a long time later today, as I'm sure you guys are all looking at it as well, you know, you probably don't have Miles Turner sitting next to him on your team. I think my next best shot blocker on that club is LaMarcus Aldridge, who's actually been quite good so far this year. And then I might have Derek Favors on one of the teams. It doesn't matter. Point is, we are hopeful. We are hopeful. There is... It all, all is not lost at this point because he's confident. I think if they expected it to be an ACL, they probably, you would have heard something along those lines. And as of this moment, which is effectively first thing, we haven't heard that discussion yet. Even when he got hurt, it wasn't, you know... Magic are afraid it's an ACL. When someone goes down with that type of thing, you almost always see that initial report. So-and-so team is afraid that this is the the injury. I'm trying to think of the last time we saw that happen, and it wasn't that long ago. Uh, Boogie, I think, maybe was one where that happened, where he went down with the, the injury in practice, and it was there was the report out of Lakers camp that was like, oh, Lakers are concerned that it, it might be ACL. I'm trying to think of who else was drafted relatively early this year and then has suffered some kind of similar injury. The names are not immediately evident. The other ones have actually been relatively nebulous in terms of guys injured that are missing a whole bunch of time. Looking through the list, Zion, I guess, that, but that wasn't one of them. 
yeah, I think I think Boogie's probably the most recent one where you got that report. And then David Nwaba, actually, who's less impactful player, but one where it happened and then it was the immediate report was, you know, team concerned that there may be an ACL injury involved. We never heard that with this Jonathan Isaac one. So I do have a measure of confidence that it's something else. If it's a bad hyperextension, which is how it looked, he was stretchered off the damn floor, then you're probably looking at a few weeks. But to me, a few weeks in this spot is palatable. You can stream a shot blocker if you have to for a couple games here and there if you're in a games cap format like me, or you can just sort of swallow it. But we have to wait and see. We really don't know what it's going to be. It could be a sprain. That could be four to five weeks. It could be nothing. It could be day-to-day when all said and done. I, we, we really don't know right now. But it doesn't, knocking on wood, of course, it, it, the reports, and our job over here is to continue to read the tea leaves to the best of our ability. The tea leaves right now have not pointed to season ending. Knock on wood. That's what the tea leaves have said, but we'll get the MRI results, and so for now, just hold your breath. I'm Dan Bespris. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> just saying hi now. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball and Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee presentation. HawaiianIsles.com, the website, H-I Kona Coffee on Twitter, or you can check it out on Amazon as well. And, of course, Hoopball, our benevolent overlords that allowed us to create this podcast and roll it now for a few years and just keep growing. Hoop-Ball.com, at HoopBallFantasy, at HoopBallTweets, and a whole host of team coverages. We've been getting a lot of really great responses on that recruiting call, so I'll throw it back out there again here towards the beginning of today's podcast. If you want to cover a team, not fantasy, this is reality. So you got to either be ready to podcast about them regularly or write about them regularly. And you got to be decent at either one of them. This is a learning position, so it's a contributor spot. But it's an opportunity to train under Aaron Bruski, someone who has actually covered an NBA team, the Kings, for a large media conglomerate, NBC. You can learn how to be an actual beat reporter under the great Aaron Bruski, while at the same time creating a brand new wing of hoopball with the great Mike Pasador. So hit me up at Dan Vespers on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoopdashball.com. If you want to do something else, by the way, doesn't have to be that. That's the one we're pushing for right now. But if you want to get involved in our sales division and have midday availability, hit me up for that one. If you want to work on the fantasy side, you can hit me up for that one. If you got some other skill hidden up your sleeves that maybe we're not utilizing, then you're thinking, why isn't Hoopball doing this? Well, maybe it's because we just don't have anybody that can. You can bug me about that as well. All right. Lead uncovered. We didn't bury it on today's show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you for all the ratings and reviews over the last couple of weeks. Pushing 400 here. Super cool. Let's talk about some box scores from Wednesday. Just four games. Obviously, Orlando was the one you were watching. DJ Augustine went nutso. He's going to get added in a whole bunch of leagues, and then he's going to get dropped next week when he cools off because this is how DJ Augustine goes. He's always going to be near the top 150. He's not going to score 25 points a night. If you think Jonathan Isaac getting hurt was the reason that Augustine went off, I have a bridge to sell you. This was just a game where he went crazy against a god-awful Washington Wizards defense. Simple enough. Because who the hell didn't go crazy on the Orlando side? Almost every player that got into the game was an impact fantasy player. Fournier, 18-4 with two steals, a block, and two three-pointers. 
Terrence Ross, 15 points, a steal, and a block, three threes. Vooch, 20 and 12. False, 16, 4 and 8, two steals, and a three pointer. Even Wesley Iwundu had 10 and 6 with a steal. Make, that name makes me feel like I need to go see the new Star Wars. Kem Birch, 7 and 10 with a block. Mobamba had 7 and 6 with a block. I mean, everybody did something in this ballgame, except Jonathan Isaac, who obviously got injured. Bradley Beal made his return. And, of course, we were watching to see what that would do to the other guys on the Wizards because Beal had a 37 usage rate in his 30 minutes on the floor, and that's just going to mean that someone else won't. It seems like the biggest player impacted or the player most impacted by Beal's return was actually Gary Payton, who started but only played 10 minutes in this game. Isaiah Thomas now with back-to-back low-minute total games while he just gets roasted on the defensive end. I'm holding there. There's way too much opportunity for him. Jordan McRae managed to stay above the fray despite not shooting the ball all that well. He went 4-for-12 from the field, but made five free throws. A couple of three balls did have seven rebounds. I think if you're streaming him already, you can probably keep doing it. He's got this weirdo green light now seemingly even with Bradley Beal around. So trot him out there. See what happens. Screw it, you know? If you don't need three-pointers, I could understand why maybe it's a little bit less interesting, but he's doing other stuff, too. He's getting a few rebounds. Didn't get many assists now with Beal back in this one, but he's getting you a couple of steals here and there. And they have an off day today and then go back-to-back. So they're, they're loaded up on games here for the next little bit. Four games over a, a six-day stretch is pretty good, and certainly the back-to-back to get that whole thing started is also pretty good. So throw him on your list. You could probably keep streaming him. Gary Payton, as we mentioned, was likely to go away at some point because, you know, there's a reason guys bounce around in the G League for a decade. They just don't have this staying power. You got to have minutes if you're going to make the impact, and no one's going to average three or four steals a game. It just doesn't happen. So when that goes away, the whole thing goes away. Ish Smith played 29 minutes, but we don't like his fantasy game. Haven't for a long time. And then Troy Brown Jr., just quietly plodding along with his high 20s in minutes. He'll be right around the edge of the top 100. Pretty damn useful if you're in a slightly deeper league. Like if you're in a 15 roster league with unlimited starts. So you need a deep, deep bench. He makes a lot of sense there. Standard leagues where you start, you know, your top 10. He's probably not going to be in your top 10. I don't know that there's a direct beneficiary, by the way, looking back at the Jonathan Isaac thing. Iwundu and Kem Birch were the two guys that saw extra run in this one, but there was also a blowout factor involved. Curious to see what happens in their next ballgame. We'll make an assessment from there. I'm willing to bet that you're not going to see any true ads to come of this mix, especially if Aaron Gordon actually comes back quickly. So we wait and we pray and we hope that Isaac is not out for too damn long. Ugly, ugly game for Portland in New York. Damian Lillard, 5 for 20 from the field in this ballgame. Unacceptable. Too late on New Year's Eve, I guess. CJ McCollum, also quite bad. Carmelo Anthony was actually really good in his return to Madison Square Garden. 26 and 7 with three three-pointers and nothing else. We told you the steals and blocks was going to regress to the mean. That has begun. Hassan Whiteside at 17 and 12. He was, besides Mello, was quarter the only Blazer to have relevance. 
Meanwhile, Bazemore actually finally had a little bit of usage in this ballgame, but couldn't get the defensive stats. So I'm going to go ahead and just call him officially. He is a stream, and that's all you need to worry about at this point. Really a disappointment. I thought the defensive stats would be better. On the New York side, Frank Nilakina had one of his games where he sort of woke up a little bit, and that put a dent into Alfred Payton possibly having a better ball game. But I talked about Payton a lot on yesterday's podcast, so I don't want to spend three or four minutes on him again today, if only just to point out all of the issues we've talked about were obvious in this ball game. He doesn't shoot the ball well. Missed both of his free throws, shot two for nine from the field, got eight assists and two defensive stats, and literally nothing else. So I'm just not that high on him. I think he does need to be owned as a starting point guard, and most games are going to be a little bit better than this one because Nilakina had a really nice performance. But in general, he's just not going to be the answer for your fantasy team. There's not an obvious pickup that I would punt Peyton for right now. In this moment, I don't I don't see a name on the board that's like, oh, you gotta you gotta stop what you're doing and go get this guy. If one surfaces, I'll point him out. But I, you know, certain guys that are getting dropped that are probably worthwhile. Those might be na- like Luke Kennard is probably getting dropped. I'd probably rather have him. PJ Tucker's been getting dropped in some leagues. That's a guy you probably rather have over Alfred Payton. Larry Nance, if you want to make a stash play on a guy that's one you could look at you really need to want assists badly to put up with Alfred Payton's issues they are they are numerous Mitchell Robinson 11 out of 11 hello Mitch Julius Randall good again over 50% from the field again so he woke up right after I traded him clearly you know what I knew what I was doing and I, I, it was like, look, I got to get out from under this guy. I sold low, and uh, I'm paying for it. But he was horrible. You knew he had to be a little bit better at some point. Curious how long this lasts. Even Bobby Portis had a good ball game here. Marcus Morris, 18-7-3, so he's okay. Reggie Bullock returned to the mix for New York at 11 points in 15 minutes. I have no idea what his season outlook is going to be like, but he is their best wing scorer at least in terms of floor spacing on this team. And he's kind of the only true small forward maybe on the roster. Is Kevin Knox? I mean, he's sort of like a long small forward, but doesn't really guard anybody. There's a chance Reggie Bullock actually plays his way into some minutes on this team, but I'm not adding him. Not until we see those minutes come up. And if he starts to get into the high 20s as really one of their only other floor spacers besides like a Marcus Morris... He might be a guy that moves. He's a 3 and D sort that doesn't get a ton of D. So that's why that's why I think you can wait. You can wait on that one. Oh, speaking of things to wait on, before I get to Minnesota-Milwaukee, I almost forgot arguably the biggest news of the day. Darren Collison has officially contemplated coming out of retirement. Can you believe it? This is a Dan Vesper's favorite. Do you remember the tears that I shed on this podcast in the offseason when Darren Collison came out to say, nah, screw free agency, I'm retiring. He has long been one of my favorite fantasy games. I don't really care that much for his real-life fantasy, for his real-life basketball play because he's sort of a low usage, does a lot of the little stuff on the court that makes his teams better. But 
listen, I mean, he was basically like the founding member last year of the Dan Bespris Old Man Squad. In 28 minutes a game with Indiana last season, he was number 78 in 9-cat. 11 points, 3 boards, 6 assists, 1.5 steals, 1 three-pointer on 47% from the field and 83% at the foul line. And that was, by all accounts, a down season for him. His percentages have consistently been outstanding. The previous year, his numbers were almost exactly the same, but he shot 50% and 88 at the free throw line. This is a guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands very much to make a huge impact. Word is, by the way, that he's contemplating coming back to either the Lakers or the Clippers, which makes sense. He's a UCLA guy, right? So he'd, he could potentially play for a championship team in the city where he not only grew up but also went to college. He's from Rancho Cucamonga, for, which, for those of you that are unfamiliar, is about 40 miles east of downtown L.A. He went to Etiwanda High School, which is also out in that same direction. I call basketball for a, a little college out that way, so pretty familiar with the area. Um, he's 32, turned 32 back in August, so he's, he's on the, the back end of his prime, but he would, if he joins the Clippers, almost have no impact at all. He, I, can you believe? Can you imagine a scenario where Darren Collison and Patrick Beverly are fighting each other in practice time, and Collison comes out winning the lion's share of point guard minutes? I honestly don't think he wants to have to go through that to get some of his minutes. You join the Lakers, what are you going to do? You're going to D up on Rajon Rondo? He beat Rajon Rondo with his eyes closed. I love Alex Caruso, but Darren Collison is a better basketball player. I'm fine with Avery Bradley, but I'd rather have Darren Collison. I mean, you're looking at, thinking about the guys that have actually logged Quinn Cook, Troy Daniels, who are the other guys that are sort of point guard, shooting guard, size players. Collison is listed at six feet tall, but he's a very long, tough six feet, right? I mean, we've all seen him play. He plays bigger than that. He's not fast anymore. He doesn't have that top gear to get out on the fast break. But who does among the guards on that Laker team? No one, really. LeBron James is a one-man fast break at this point. He and JaVale McGee, I guess. <laughs> so, no, you're not picking him up. He's probably not available in your leagues anyway uh, because he's contemplated returning. Most fantasy providers haven't exactly raced out to give him the NA tag and re-add him to the database. When he pops up, if you're in a 14-teamer or deeper, I think you could probably stash him for the next three weeks and see what happens on this story. If he ends up on the Clippers, he's a drop. If he ends up on the Lakers, then you ride it out, see what happens. The, the universe here is, is creating a very weird pocket, which is Collison's long played with guys that dominate the basketball. Not LeBron and Anthony Davis level, but... His usage was consistently quite low in Indiana any time that Victor Oladipo was on the court, which was most of the time up until uh, later on last year, obviously, when, when Depot went down for the year. With LeBron around, he's going to be largely used as a spot-up shooter, where he's fantastic, brilliant spot-up shooter, great catch-and-shoot. His percentages through the roof. Another guy the Lakers could have that Shoots a really good free throw percent as well. But it's all about efficiency for him. So don't expect him to get five or six assists a game. He's just not going to be doing that. 
perhaps they could have him on the floor to help orchestrate a little bit when LeBron is not out there, but he's never really, I mean, it's been a while since he was a true offense creator, more of a a system offense kind of guy, pick and rolls with Miles Turner, that kind of stuff. So you could see him running that a little bit, perhaps with Anthony Davis or maybe a Dwight Howard or, I mean, the Lakers don't, Dwight is not a pick and pop guy. That was one of the ways that Collison got his assists last year. So I don't know that the ceiling is nearly as high as it has been in seasons past. So that's why I'm really taking more of a wait-and-see approach. But damn, you guys know I love Darren Collison. And as a Laker fan, that makes so much sense. You probably remember in the offseason when I was discussing on the Lakers podcast, I think, guys that I thought would be the optimum fit for that ball club. And I said, well, if Darren Collison didn't retire, he'd be, he'd be perfect. He was the perfect fit. Throw him alongside LeBron and Danny Green. Think of that. I mean, spot-up shooters that play outstanding defense, high-efficiency guys, high-IQ guys. It made all the sense in the world, and then he retired, and I grew sad. And now I am less sad, but only by a little, because nothing is set in stone yet. All right, back to Minnesota-Milwaukee. We we took our little break from breaking down the short Wednesday card to talk Darren Collison, because... Damn it, I love Darren Collison. Gorgie Jenks' stream fest was less exciting in this one. He played third, uh, 23 minutes, did not have a good shooting game, picked up some weird fouls. Minnesota went to all sorts of weird lineups and almost won this ball game. I mentioned it yesterday. I, th- I I'm really surprised that this game was an underdog cover and did not go over. I thought for sure those two things were going to happen simultaneously. This was an underdog cover that stayed under. But I did say on yesterday's show... If someone's going to give me 18 points, I'm almost always going to take it. So hopefully you did that part. Shabazz Napier had 22. He's been filling in well with no Jeff Teague and no Andrew Wiggins. As long as Cat is out, I'm going to keep trotting Gorgie Jang out there. I don't care about one bad shooting game. He still did some other nice stuff. Rob Covington's been really good lately. Five more cash counters. Defensive stats have been through the roof. And then Jared Culver, who also can't shoot a lick, but he's going to get a whole bunch of opportunity here with Jeff Teague on the shelf. Let's see how Milwaukee fares when they get some of their guys back, whenever the hell that happens to be. For Milwaukee, now that they're healthy, George Hill has faded into the background. Though he did get 22 minutes, there's just, he's not getting any shots. And so if you're an efficiency guy, you need to have a couple of shots for it to make a dent. Brooke Lopez, six blocks. He got dropped in some leagues earlier this year. People, ye of little faith. He's back into the 40s. The low 40s this year, guys. I mean, this was like the easiest thing to see on planet Earth. That buy low came and went. We didn't even get to stress it all that much. Giannis was very good, as he usually is, but made just three out of his eight free throws. Yeesh. Man, that's wild. Chris Middleton finally had an off-shooting game, uh, and Arison Ilyasova's back to a pumpkin, and Eric Bledsoe played 20 minutes. His slow ramp-up continues, and a decent performance, 10-6-2 with a couple of blocks. He'll be fine in the next week when his minutes get up where they are hoping to put them. Other thoughts from this ballgame? Not many. I'm less concerned about Carl Anthony Towns than other people are. I think Minnesota does get their guys back and, and try to make a little bit of a push here. There's, I think, this, this innate desire, and it's more in the fantasy community than in the real basketball community, to dig teams' graves by December. And we're right. This is the weird dichotomy of what I'm about to say. We are right to dig certain teams' graves. Like, you know, Minnesota, they're they're not going to make the playoffs. 
I know they're not that far out at 12 and 21 or whatever they are right now. I know they're only like three games out, but they're not making the playoffs. They're just not that good. However, they're not looking at 12 and 21 and saying, we're done, mail it in. They're looking at 12 and 21 and saying, we're 33 effing games into the year. There's 50, almost, games left. We're not even at the halfway point. What if we rattle off six wins in a row? Boom, we're a playoff team. So they're going to get their guys back, and they're going to give it another push here. So if you're worried about a January 2nd shutdown, I don't think you need to be. It'll be a little bit longer before any of that happens. You're looking at the All-Star break. We're still almost two months away from teams really starting to think about pulling the plug. So don't panic yet. Don't panic sell. You can panic buy if you want. Get in on some of these guys if someone in your league you think is totally losing their minds with the the injuries on teams that aren't very good. But don't sell your guys for pennies on the dollar. They're going to be back, and they're going to have some really nice stretches. Hell, if the Warriors can get their guys in for a couple months here, Minnesota can certainly do likewise. Don't panic. Everything is fine. Keep calm and carry on. That last game was a weird one. Lakers got off to a rip-roaring start and then just completely threw it into coast for the entire second half. They almost biffed it. That would have been a tough one to stomach. Did not think that this ball game was going to stay under the total at that point. Not that it mattered. We didn't have any any play in particular on this ball game. But uh, that was, boy, did the Lakers take their foot off the gas. Phoenix almost completed the comeback. They just threw guys out there that were playing well. Now, we did have a couple of injuries in this game. Alex Caruso had a calf issue for the Lakers, so that meant that we saw a little bit more Avery Bradley than usual, and he was playing well, too, so that made that decision relatively simple. Lakers Lakers also went big in this game with Kyle Kuzma playing some three, or maybe they said LeBron was the three, or honestly, I don't don't really know. But it was JaVale McGee, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Kyle Kuzma, maybe he was the two even, He put up 19 points, took him 15 shots to get there, though. So still efficiency issues for Kuz. He's not going to be relevant. I don't think he's even going to be relevant in points leagues. This is the kind of game where you're like, but 19 points, that's the kind of thing that gets you onto rosters in points formats. Eh, is it, though? All he does is score. Literally, all he does is score. It's just not enough. Even in a points format, it's not enough. Lakers are not super interesting from a fantasy perspective. They're basically a two-man operation. Avery Bradley got hot. JaVale McGee had a really good first quarter and then completely vanished. Dwight Howard was completely MIA in this ballgame. They went to some weird lineups to see if they could jumpstart things, and it just, no one could wake up in the second half. I, I thought it was an interesting move. Frank Vogel stuck with the starters a lot. The veterans, LeBron, AD, that type of stuff, even while things were sort of falling apart around them, I was a little bit surprised. That's the kind of situation where I feel like a lot of Eric Spolstra, for instance, I I feel like he would have gone full line change. Greg Popovich, probably the same thing. Just throw in five reserves and say, hey, go play hard for a few minutes. Just let the starters sit for a few, gather their thoughts, and then come back and and throw a couple of punches. But in any event, they held on. It worked out okay. Kelly Oubre was stellar again. He missed some free throws, which has been a little bit of a ding on him lately. His free throw percent is uh, under 80% for the season now, which, you know, whatever. Otherwise, he's been quite good, but he's he's in a little bit of a free throw funk at the moment. His career mark is, is 78, so he's right on it. 
you can't really complain about that. Otherwise, he's been fantastic. Had three steals, three threes, scored 26 points on 14 shots. Good stuff. Devin Booker was uh, decent if unspectacular. 32 points looks nice. Seven assists also looks nice, but minimal threes, minimal steals, six turnovers. And the reason behind that, at least part of it, is that Ricky Rubio slipped late in this game in the fourth quarter while Phoenix was making their comeback and hurt his hip. But apparently was moving around okay after the ball game. Just a very slight limp. I think he'll probably miss a game or two. We know the deal with Rubio. Little injuries take a tiny bit longer for him. They are obviously a lot better when he's in the lineup. Substantially better when he's in the lineup. He's averaging nine assists a game. I mean, 14, 5, and 9. This is this has been, by all accounts, a very successful season for Rubio. And I, I drafted him in a bunch of spots, so that worked out okay. I'm in four of my five most competitive leagues. I don't even really know how that happened. He just kept falling to me. But I think he's going to miss a couple of games with this one. I, I know that he was moving okay afterwards, but I still think you, you should expect him to sit a tiny bit. And so, I mean, I don't know. I honestly don't know what you're going to see. If it's Elliot Kobo, if it's Javon Carter, if it's Tyler Johnson, none of these guys is worth a pickup. And then DeAndre Aiden, Aaron Baines. That's the other situation worth monitoring. They did play alongside one another ever so briefly, and in this one, Aiden outplayed Baines. I didn't think either of them was all that great overall. Aiden 16 and 14, which is solid. A steal, a block, made his free throws, hit his shots. It was a quietly productive game, which I'm totally fine with. It's very in the mold of a LaMarcus Aldridge, which you guys know I love that fantasy line. I just feel like, guys, that if you drafted him at, like, 18 or 20 or 22 or whatever it was you're probably hoping for more in the scoring column at the very least but 31 minutes is good off the bench is fine it sort of didn't matter where they came from Baines was getting dunked on religiously getting dunked on four points five boards two assists he's probably a drop at this point I know he's still starting but the minutes are trending down, as we figured they would when Aiton came back. The question really is less about Baines, because I don't think there's going to be enough time for him to make fantasy impression. The question is more about DeAndre Aiton. What happens if he's not playing as well as he did in this ballgame? Does, does his minute total drop under 30 on any given night? Or is, this, or is he just going to get 31 minutes regardless of how things are going? Because in this one, he did win that position battle. But that hasn't been the case every single ballgame. So that'll be something to monitor. I don't know that it's a buy low or a sell high opportunity for, for Aiton right now. I think this is just like a wait and see, feel it out, figure out what the hell he's going to do. Can he defend consistently? That's going to be the big thing. If he can defend consistently, he can earn those minutes. If he can't, you might see games where he gets dinged. And finally now, as we turn the page to a much more abundant Thursday a nine game Thursday card we finally get a decent slate going again and before we do because we're going to talk betting lines as well as fantasy ramifications I want to remind you guys to check out our buddies at mybookie.ag don't tune me out tune me in right now this is really important for us at hoopball and you might as well get in while we're winning all of our bets we didn't make any bets yesterday by the way so no wins no losses that's a that's a, a neutral day. Wednesday was a neutral day. I'm well. I'm sure we'll have something here on a nine-game Thursday card. 
But if you want to get on board with us and, and collect, well, we're collecting. We talk about all these wins we're getting with our layup line. Do it at mybookie.ag. They got great lines. They got fantastic customer service. And you get a 50% deposit bonus with the promo code TODAY. You know that by now. You've listened to this podcast enough to know what this deal is. The website is mybookie.ag. If you typed in mybookie.com, I'm fairly certain it would forward you to the correct website. Promo code T-O-D-A-Y. Use that when you sign up for your initial account and deposit, and then you'll get that 50% bonus. Very important that you use that promo code because then mybookie can go, oh, sweet, more people betting along with our guys at HoopBall, and we can lock them in long-term. Let's get that long-term partnership here. That could mean good stuff for you guys. It's always great stuff for us as we continue to grow the podcast. Part of what keeps us improving, you get a sponsor. That means that a couple of pennies end up in your pockets. You can upgrade equipment. We can improve audio for perhaps for some of our other podcasts. We can improve some of our recording software. All of these little, we can add more shows to the server. These are all things that happen as you start to generate a little bit of revenue. And this is a big part of that. So, Come along with us. Even if, you know, maybe you got a Christmas present or whatever, you got 50 bucks to blow, drop that in the in the coffers, use the promo code, they'll give you the extra 25. If you got a couple hundred, you can do it that way. And then let's grow it. Let's put 10, 10 bucks or whatever on every game we're betting, and we'll just very slowly turn our bankroll from 50 bucks into like 80 bucks, and then we'll turn it into 110. And, and that's the way you do it, man. You slow grow it over time. And my bookie doesn't care if you're winning a couple bucks. They just want you playing. They want you playing because if you're winning, someone else is losing. <laughs> you guys maybe not. I mean, this is something we should probably talk about on our betting podcast that's coming out in the next week to two weeks. But bookies just want to split the action. That's all they care about because they keep the vig whether or not you win or lose. So let's be on the winning side. Someone else can be on the losing side. My bookie will keep the vig. They're happy. We're happy. Let's do it all together. Mybookie.ag. Bet, win, get paid. Let's talk about the fantasy stuff going on in this nine-game Thursday before we drop a few uh, moments into the betting discussion. Charlotte is at Cleveland in the game we've been waiting for all season long. That's what we in the biz call sarcasm. Cleveland is a two-point favorite in this basketball game. But again, we'll get into that in a minute. I want to do the, uh, the fantasy stuff first. Cleveland, we're just sort of barely monitoring the guard situation Nothing really to pay attention to with the the big men until somebody gets moved. Tristan Thompson has leveled off just outside the top 100. Kevin Love has been playing largely disinterested basketball while he hopes to get himself traded. He had a couple of good ball games before he missed a contest and then came back with kind of a quiet one in Toronto. He's obviously their best fantasy player, and it's not close. He's number 56 on the year, and he'll be fine, but you know he wants out because things are rough there. The, the guards are bad. They traded away Jordan Clarkson, who was one of their better players. Dante Exum hasn't seen many minutes yet. Maybe that changes as he learns the offense. I don't know. Kevin Porter has not shown consistency, which you'd figure from a young player. Colin Sexton's fantasy game sucks. And so does Darius Garland's. Please drop Colin Sexton. Why is he owned in five of my six competitive leagues? One of them is a points league, so I'll give that team a, a pass. But Good Lord, people are trotting this dude out there, and he is blowing up your fantasy team in the process. He's number 173. I know the 18 points are appealing, and, you know, he's got a steal, 
And his percentages are not as horrible this year. You know, free throw percent's actually been pretty good, but under a three-pointer a game, only three rebounds, two assists from your point guard? It's just not good. Something has to change dramatically for this dude. Either the assists, that's not changing. The threes, that's not changing. He's made one in his last 10 games. I mean, it's actually going down. Maybe his field goal percent, does that come up again? No, it's just not happening. So I don't know that anybody on this Cleveland team is going to make any noise at all. For Charlotte, I think everybody that should be owned is owned, basically, on that team. P.J. Washington would be, I suppose, the the outer realm guy there, but in any event. Denver, Indiana, not much to pay attention to here. Malcolm Brogdon's health would be the only thing in question. I guess Gary Harris's health, if you want to put it all together into one bucket. Toronto, Miami. I've told you a million times, I'll tell you again, I don't trust anybody on that Toronto team outside of the main core. OG, Kyle, Freddie Van Fleet, Serge Ibaka, I'm not playing the backups, and you're already seeing Chris Boucher ending up back on waiver wires, just as I predicted. Say whatever you want going back. But I'm still claiming victory on that one for now. He's uh, outside the top 130, basically, since he got the opportunity with no Marcus Ole, no Pascal Siakam, outside the top 130. And that's with two blowouts where he got to play huge minutes. You pull either one of those out, and he falls back towards the end of the top 200. Which you can't, but you get my drift. So you put another couple of games together. Maybe this one will be a blowout. I don't know. Heat are pretty good. And they're probably going to be pissed after drifting through their last one and getting beat by a bad team. Utah in Chicago. Utah, they they look quite comfortable with Jordan Clarkson. Still no Mike Conley. We're still at least a few games away on that one, but they've needed that extra little scoring kick, and Clarkson's been helpful. Chicago, they're fairly predictable these days, so I think we can keep rolling on that front. Golden State at Minnesota. Damian Lee, gotta love him. I hope the Warriors can figure out a way to sign him for the rest of the year before his 45 days run out because he's been awesome. Waiting on a report on Willie Cauley-Stein. Did he rejoin the team? We don't know yet. If he does, throw him in there. If Gorgie Jang is still starting and there's no cat, throw him in there too. Loving it. Stream city around these parts. Brooklyn, Dallas, Dwight Powell, DeLon Wright. They're back in the mix. There was a long stretch on this podcast where we were just watching those two guys and neither one of them was doing anything consistently. Well, they are now. They both belong on fantasy teams. They've both been quite good, and especially now with Kristaps out for we don't precisely know how long. Dwight Powell is, I mean, he was must-own anyway with his recent strong play, and now there's just no question. He's up to number 144 on the season overall, and he's number 72 over the last month. 72, guys. 58% shooting, 77 free throws on 9-7-2. and two. Excuse me, 10, 7, and 2 with a steal and almost a block a game. And 0.6 turnovers. Great nine category stuff over that stretch. Very few big ball games, by the way, to sort of float that value. You know, sometimes you see a guy who has one giant game and then a whole bunch of really quiet ones. His stuff is pretty consistent. He's just rolling along at about 10 points every night, seven rebounds every night, getting his steal, getting his block. He's finally starting to look like himself. And then DeLon Wright, who had one bad ball game, but otherwise has actually been really good lately. So we'll keep a track on those two guys. Oklahoma City is at San Antonio. 
Not much from a fantasy perspective here. I think the Spurs have fairly well settled in. They're starting to take some more three balls, which has been helpful in their recent push. Oklahoma City, just competitive as hell every ball game. Chris Paul loving it. Steven Adams loving it. They're having fun out there. Shea's been playing a lot better. Thunder have won three in a row, seven of their last ten. There are three games over five hundred. Locked into that seven seed right now. How happy do you think they would be if the Lakers were the one and the Clippers were the three and they dodged those two teams in the first round? <laughs> Not that the Nuggets aren't a really good basketball team, but and I'm sure we have a lot of Nuggets fans listening to this podcast, so I apologize in advance, but come on. In terms of star power, who do you think the teams are really fearing in the upper echelon? It's the Lakers, the Clippers, and probably the Rockets because of star power. The Nuggets are a great basketball team. Super deep, better defensively than most of those other clubs, if not all of them. But as great as Nikola Jokic is, it just doesn't inspire the fear that those other clubs do. Memphis is at Sacramento. Kings are a four-point favorite. That surprises the hell out of me because they've stunk lately. Memphis has actually been pretty good. A lot of guys on Memphis have been pretty good lately. Jaron Jackson Jr. is number 65 on the year. He's been healthy and playing well. Jonas Valanciunas has been healthy and playing well of late. Really for a while now for both of those guys. JV 68, Jaron Jackson 65, John Morantz looked good. Brandon Clark has been fantastic his last couple of ball games. He's number 66. Grizzlies have three guys in the 60s. John Morant is 133, but he's looked good too. They've won three of their last five games, and the losses came to the Spurs and the Nuggets. Don't be surprised if this Memphis team rolls into Sacramento and hits them with a haymaker. They're not bad. Not much to watch from the fantasy side. You sort of know what you're going to get there. Sacramento, similar thing. It really just all comes down to whether or not Marvin Bagley's playing. If he's in, I think I would sit Bielitsa to see what happens there. If he's out, you start him. Otherwise, everything else remains basically the same. Detroit is in L.A. to take on the Clippers. This has ugly written all over it. Andre Drummond obviously is in. Derek Rose is in. Luke Kennard is still hurt. Blake Griffin is the question mark. If he's out and Markeith Morris is still out, you could probably stream Christian Wood, especially if this thing gets into blowout spot, where maybe Wood then gets to play the final 12 minutes against who the hell knows the end at the end of the Clippers bench. Opportunity to maybe have himself a pretty big ball game. I'm a little surprised, actually, at how many places Luke Kennard has been dropped lately. He should have been dropped way earlier this year. When Blake Griffin was healthy and Kennard was trending down really fast, he wasn't dropped. And now, it's just a little injury. A couple of weeks, they're calling it. I mean, maybe he'll be back. He's going to be evaluated in five days, I think, from now. And that might say they might get to him and say he's going to be out another two weeks after that. So I think I think your move here with Kennard is if he got dropped in your league, you probably wait until the seventh when we get that next report and then make your move. But that surprises me. He was really good when Blake Griffin was sitting. I don't think we're that far from Blake Griffin sitting again. People are getting impatient. That's a that's a nice story right now. Decent players are getting dropped because teams are getting impatient. I've seen a lot of Larry Nance on waiver wires. I'm seeing Luke Kennard on waiver wires. I'm seeing PJ Tucker on waiver wires, Daniel House. I mean, these are got I mean, you, you, 
there's a, a, a proven portfolio. That's the word we've used in the past on this podcast. There is portfolio with these guys. If Larry Nance, if, if someone gets moved on that team, Thompson or Love, Larry Nance rockets into a top 70 valuation. Guys like that are just not out there. We already know that's what will happen. He'll go from playing 16 to 17 minutes a game to 30 overnight. And he's very good. Super high steals guy from a the center position. Good percentages. P.J. Tucker, same kind of thing. He's always going to be a little bit up and down. He goes through these stretches where he doesn't score at all. And then he comes roaring out of it with a buttload of steals and a whole bunch of rebounds. People get pissed off too quickly. And then Luke Kennard, who, admittedly, I'm not that high on his fantasy game, but when Blake Griffin was out and he got a decent chunk of that usage with Derrick Rose coming off the bench, it was Kennard and Drummond in the starting unit doing the scoring. He was almost scoring 20 points a game. So don't panic, people. This, this is a thing. I mean, if you have a lot of injuries, and so that's the issue with a guy like Kennard, I get it. But if you're looking for guys with upside, they're right under your nose. Let's talk betting. A lot of kind of clunky teams playing on this Thursday. I know there's nine games, and so there's got to be something in there. A lot of short lines of kind of bad teams playing each other or decent teams on the road against worse opponents. It's it's weird. Cleveland is a one-and-a-half point favorite at home to the Charlotte Hornets. This one I have a lean to Charlotte. They got beat by the Cavs, 198, about two weeks ago. And I think, despite the fact that I do like Cleveland playing a tiny bit better lately... This feels like an opportunity for the Charlotte Hornets to get off of their losing skid. I think they'll play better. Denver, one-and-a-half-point underdogs at Indiana. So back-to-back games we're talking about here with a, a line of one-and-a-half points. That's that's nothing. I think this will be a good ball game. Indiana's been playing well. I don't know if they'll be as good as they were in their last one. Denver, obviously, they're deep. Not, not super interested in this one. Miami, five-and-a-half-point favorites at home to Toronto. I like uh, Toronto, I like the Heat coming off of that ugly loss against the Wizards. It, it seems like a bounce-back spot, but also covering 5.5 is not is easier said than done. Utah, 3.5-point road favorites at Chicago. That feels freakishly low, doesn't it? That one frightens me. I think I would go Chicago, if anything, which is weird because Utah's been playing well. I, I prefer to leave this one alone. Warriors at Minnesota. No Willie Cauley-Stein, by the way. We got the news on that one. He, he didn't rejoin the team We've, I haven't heard anything on D'Angelo Russell leading up to this ballgame, so it might be more of the backups. Marquise Chris probably worth a stream for Golden State. Minnesota haven't had an update on their guys either. Sounds like Jeff Teague is out, but I haven't heard anything on Andrew Wiggins or Carl Anthony Towns. I'm going to assume that they're out. They had to roll with that. So keep rumbling on Gorgie Jang. Keep rumbling along Shabazz Napier. More streaming. That's been the thing right now. Minnesota's a three-point favorite at home. That's probably a fairly accurate line. They've been playing hard. They're backups. I think this will be a good ball game. I actually, the Warriors have a decent chance to win this one, but who the hell knows with these two teams if anybody shows up. Damian Lee, keep rumbling too. Brooklyn, eight-point underdogs at Dallas. Second largest line on the docket. Dallas has been scuffling. Luka Doncic has been a bit banged up. Remember, he came back from the ankle thing and then took a hard fall in that game against the Lakers. He hasn't quite been himself, but you just don't know when he's going to explode. This Dallas team, very good offensively, so I'm probably leaving this betting line alone. I'm just more excited about the fact that the Dallas peripheral guys are finally starting to wake up a little bit. 
Oklahoma City, two-point underdogs at San Antonio. Should be a fun one. These teams are battling for the seven and eight spots in the Western Conference. Thunder, they just play a tight ball game every damn day. And so did the Spurs, seemingly. Didn't the Spurs have a stretch of three or four games in a row they went to overtime? I think they've played the most OT games in the NBA. I think this is going to be a good ball game, which makes me think the line is pretty accurate. Sacramento, four-point favorites at home to the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't know how you bet on Sacramento right now at all. So lean to Memphis, certainly, in that ballgame. And then the Clippers, 12.5-point favorites at home to the Detroit Pistons. Clippers are too good to let a game like this slip away. They just smoked Sacramento after the, the letdown loss to Utah. They got Memphis coming up and then New York. They're on a stretch right now where they should rattle off an easy five-game win streak. Sacramento, Detroit, Memphis, New York, Golden State. Do they sort of take their eye off the prize a little bit here? I don't think so. They're too good. Kawhi's too good. Paul George is too good. Lou Williams, congratulations on the birth of his child. He's he's good in a non-fantasy sense. His fantasy game is vastly overrated. I don't re- think people realize he's number 132. Like, this guy's behind. I, I know that it, a lot of it is just sort of stat makeup, but he's behind Mo Wagner, George Hill, Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo. These guys are all in front of Lou Williams, by the way. For the season on a nine cap per game basis. So I understand kind of what you're getting. Whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not the point of all this. Uh, so not touching that 12 and a half point line. Because I really, I don't know what you're going to get. Certainly from the Detroit side, you know, you probably get a decent game out of uh, Derrick Rose. Because Patrick Beverly's out. So you don't have the, the point guard hounding you and the Clippers. I mean, they just keep people in front of them in general. Andre Drummond, he should be solid. No one on the Clippers can match his size or even come close to it. But we we don't really know what's going on with the rest of those guys. I don't know if Blake Griffin's playing yet. I'm assuming no, but we'll wait and see. I don't know if Markeith Morris is playing yet. I'm assuming no. If those guys are out, Christian Wood is a solid stream. We've already mentioned that. So more injury-related fantasy stuff today than, than the other things. Memphis and Charlotte, probably the two things on the gambling side that caught my eye the most. That'll about do it. For the Thursday show, we got one more this week. We'll have our typical Friday weekend preview and week in review edition. Next week, we'll get back to the basics. Start talking rock, paper, scissors, buy low, sell high. Maybe a little strategic captain's corner. All that good stuff. Big thank you once again to everybody that continues to listen. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can, as I've mentioned, hit me up if you want to join the madness here at HoopBall. At Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Enjoy the nine-game Thursday. Talk to you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.